Philosophers. Philosophers. I'm wondering when you would take initiative and start it. <laughs> right now. Yeah, there we go. So, David, what are we talking about this week? Let's talk about symbols and symbolism. Ooh. I hear a woo-woo horizon. Mm. Possibly. Maybe. I guess there is some woo-woo around symbols. I never really associated them, but, but now that I think about it, maybe. Okay. So, what about symbols? How do they work? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. What? <laughs> so, uh, what did you have in mind when you uh, thought we should take on this topic? Well, let's see. Um, so, I think the the most basic type of symbol that we can think of is is one that was mentioned just before we started recording, which was uh, the a a gesture a gesture is a type of Mm. symbol sure be that um very mundane gestures such as a wave of the hand or things that people take very seriously like kneeling or bowing yes i think the wave of the hand is one of the or like the open hand you know hand up yeah hand up palm facing the other person. Yeah. That I think that is one of the most ubiquitous symbols for humanity. I don't know of any culture in which that doesn't mean something other than something akin to I hello. acknowledge your existence. Yes. <laughs> hello there other person. And it's probably not it's it's a non offensive symbol. Like if someone raises their hand and open palms it to you, it's generally not I, I don't know where it came from, but to, in my mind it's look, I don't have a weapon, like you can see my main hand because people usually also wave with their dominant hand. You know, see my main weapon would be bearing hand is empty. I'm coming in peace to some degree. Like it's friendly. It's not a hostile thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's pretty ubiquitous and it's pretty, uh, it, it doesn't have a deep cultural meaning necessarily. I don't know. I'm not a, I don't know every culture, but like, as far as I know, that's pretty, it's it's a light seems symbol. universal to me yes yeah seems pretty universal and you can't pervert that very easily you know what i mean um but the one we were talking about before we just started was kneeling so yeah that's an interesting one um i i've heard the case made recently by um a youtuber that kneeling in his country being the uk and the youtuber being carl benjamin aka sargon of akkad just for completeness you know, he was making a gripe with the kneeling gesture being reappropriated for some other purpose. Uh, the purpose it's was it's being it was being used for in the context that he disagrees with is that it's showing like respect or it's a it's a symbol of you know uh, in America we have the take a knee in sports, which is a way of saying like you you get down on one knee, you you're at rest, you're waiting for you usually do that when someone's injured on the field. Like it's a way of Showing that I'm not going to take any other action out of fairness. I'm going to wait until this has been resolved. That's kind of the, you know, what most people would think when they hear the phrase take a knee. It's let's all hold up until a problem is resolved. It's that's kind of what I that's what I think of anyway. I don't know if it's anything different for you. Uh, sometimes I see it um, used in a way like um, to express... I guess sorrow about something. Yeah. Normally, normally this is in like a like a personal sense. You you wouldn't kneel to somebody in this context. Um, 
but you might kneel and like take a moment to acknowledge something that you take seriously. Right. Yeah. I Similar to too. the moment of silence, which is another type of right. symbol. I, I could definitely see that. It's, I, I agree. I think I've seen it used that way too. Um, that's not how it's being used. That, that's not how it was being taken by Carl though. In, in his history and in the UK coming, being a country that has existed through a time of fealty. That was a thing that happened in feudalism where, you know, you had the king or the queen and then you had knights, whatever, all the way down. Yes. And the concept of fealty was prevalent, which is you swearing yourself to the service of another person and or giving authority to that person. Uh, the symbol of kneeling was used in that way of saying, you know, I kneel to this person or I bend the knee. That's the phrase I've heard used and it's for pop culture's sake, you know, the whole Game of Thrones thing, like, will you bend the knee? Like, the, what they're saying is, do you submit to me? You put my... It's literally the act of putting your head lower than theirs so that... To show that you're of lower status than them and give them respect and also submit to their authority. So that's the symbolism it has for him based on his culture and history. No matter how antiquated... The, the monarchy might be in the UK, it still lingers as a symbol into the modern day. Um, and I think most people, it's at least you know in the United States who have inherited some of that, like we're aware of some of that literature and there's, there's definitely the, the cultural elements that come out. Like most people have heard the story of King Arthur or some perversion or, you know, fork of that story. You know, that concept is not super foreign. Like if someone told you that's how they see it, it's more relatable. You know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. like, okay, I, that, that seems familiar at least. You know, I get that. Um, his problem with it, though, is how you interpret a symbol might change between cultures and the message you might be trying to communicate, which is the whole point of a symbol, is to communicate something. Um, it's it, Symbols, in my mind, are just a physical summation of some kind of meme they, they are memes essentially uh you're just summing up something more complicated into a simple act to show it right um and these go on they're everywhere you know and they're in in all kinds of shapes and forms you know like flags or symbols um, yes mm-hmm. gestures oftentimes are symbols both positive and negative you know um in a weird way, uh, you know, colors can be seen as symbolic. Yep. Um, yep. Just about anything can be a symbol. The But what makes it a symbol is not just the formation of the physical thing. Like, it's dimensions, it's shapes. Right, it's the context it's, in which it's used. It's the context in which it's, in which it's used. Uh, and that's critical. And that's no, and that's something right. that all Take, for example, have. our hand wave. Okay. Yes. So, if I raise my hand and put it uh put it up with the palm in your direction and my fingers outspread what does that mean well i could be waving to you i could be telling you to stop i could be indicating the number five there are many things that that could mean right and it just depends on like what's going on did you just ask me a question to which five could be an answer then it's probably that am i Here's another fun symbol, wearing a uniform in front of a gate. I might be telling you to halt. Right. 
another good one uh, that I think anyone is used to. Uh, if you're in a crowd of people, you might be you might be wanting to be acknowledged. You know, it's, it's your yep. way of saying I would like to be acknowledged and pers- yep. and given the floor, if you will. Um, it's very similar, but when you raise that hand and you do something with your other hand, it can modify it. If you put your left hand, most of us, on a book, and then you raise your right hand in the same way you would to like wave at somebody, that's different than if your left hand's free, you know? You're, you're swearing something, and you're swearing it on another symbol that's being compounded, mm-hmm. which, you know, you're adding symbols on symbols here. And uh, religious texts are symbols as well, you know, just just the just book the itself. Text, yeah. Just the text. Not the actual meaning of the words, yeah. Right, and that's why people get so peeved at, like, for example, there would be groups of people that would be very upset if you burned their religious text. Right. Even if there's, it's not the only one, it's not any particularly sacred, original. Right. nothing really meaningful... In a, on a physical sense, has been lost. Right, like it, it, say you printed like, your there, own. Copy. No information is going to be lost as a as a result of it. There's plenty of copies uh, of it uh, all around. Um, there's no shortage of paper. Like we're not, you know, you're you're not uh, uh, destroying valuable resources by doing this. But the symbolism of it is, I hate what this stands for. Right, and, and that's another thing. Symbols aren't necessarily physical, and the, like they're an object. They're when I say physical, I mean they exist within the physical space. It's something that exists within the physical space to represent something in the non-physical space, I would say. Right. Like an idea. It's the same thing as like yeah. burning a flag. Like, yes. if I burn the flag of a certain nation, then I'm expressing a deep hatred for what the flag stands for that is that nation. Sometimes. But most of the time, yes. I've also seen, and this is something that's kind of unique, I would say, to some parts of the United States. I have seen groups who will burn the American flag, not because they hate it, but as an act to demonstrate that they can. Like, I've actually heard that as a given mm. excuse before. Like, a, people, a bunch of people who are actually very patriotic, who will burn their flag because they can, and because, because of what... Because one the- of the things... Right, because the American flag stands for the United States. One of the things strongly associated with that is the freedom of expression. Yes. Of which burning flags is. Yes. Um, so, yes, that's interesting. It's a weird... I, I have heard of that, but it didn't come to mind. Yeah, burn, burning a flag which stands for free speech in this context just because you can to prove that you really do have free speech because if they came and arrested you for it, well, now you proved your point. Then, y- yeah. You, pr- you prove your point either way. Exactly. Um, yes, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, but symbols go on beyond that too. There, there are even the more ethereal, like there are also the kind, uh, there's these category of symbols that are themselves ethereal, but they also, I say ethereal here when I mean non-physical. I don't know if there's a better word I should be using for that, but you know what I mean when I say that anyways. Um, and these are, the tropes fall into this category. Um, one of the better ones and you know, the, the books, the Lord of the Rings get, cited for this all the time because it's they're regarded as one of the greatest literary works of the modern age but it's because they're just retelling one of the oldest stories like they're essentially just retelling gilgamesh in a way but in a you know one of the the oldest written work that we've come across to my knowledge um and so you can take a figure uh and make it into a symbol Uh, the ones that are commonly referred to are the hero and the villain 
the hero, the villain is that's a they're archetypes, but archetypes themselves are symbols that can help communicate to you in your cultural context enough about the individual that the author of the work does not have to explicitly state this is the hero. They can allude to it, and once they've alluded to it enough that you're confident that that's who this person is, you can then draw conclusions from that without them having to be explicitly stated. And it makes for, weirdly, it makes for better storytelling for human beings who like to form associations. So by allowing the reader to form those associations on their own without being explicitly told makes for a better storytelling experience right which is weird right, because when the author comes out and just tells you all the things this is the hero his name is frodo like that's not good storytelling no one would like that story necessarily but right but if you allude to it enough and allow people to form also yeah that's that's a, a strong concept in storytelling of, of like demonstrating the thing you want to tell the reader um this is especially true in movies yeah but, show don't tell in um, film but it, but it happens in books as well like don't don't write down that this person is intelligent make them do something intelligent right and and a lot of that comes back to i think and this shows us a little bit more about symbols is the human proclivity to the why question um like for example there's this concept in literature of the mary stew and the gary stew for example they're they're characters that are Mary Sue, by the way. What'd I say? Mary Stu. No, I said you, you got them crossed. I got them. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Mary <laughs> Sue and Gary Stu, whatever. Yes. Um, but these are characters that are that break this rule. They're characters that you're pretty much just told they want to do the right thing or they do the right thing. Book open, book shut. You know, there's no why behind it. It's like you're not allowed to form those connections and you're not given justifications in the same way that a symbol offers you, you know, and a symbol is often pretty complete within itself. Like it doesn't, it's open enough that you can substitute themes within the symbol, but it's complete enough on its own that if I just told you, imagine a hero, you could call something to mind pretty quickly to fit that archetype. Whereas a Mary Sue or a Gary Stu is just a perversion of that, which it's all locked in for you, for example. And there are some symbols that are kind of like that too. Um, but in the end of the day, they're all just memes. They're all these commonly held within a culture or within a context. You know, the culture is the context in some of these. Um, sometimes it's more broad than that, but... Yeah, it can even... Well, yeah, it can come down to basic psychology, because right. there are some symbols, like gestures, I mean, that are recognized across different species. Um, like, you can... Mammals can tell, generally, whether something... Whether another mammal is being aggressive or not. Yes. Based on, you know, just the way that they position their body. Right. Um, a good you know, e- or if, if, if a particular mammal has something resembling arms or actual arms and they cover themselves that's a a gesture of fear you know that it's not a threat right or um particularly with with apes and other primates putting both palms forward is a is a gesture of submission right um another good example of this uh i i own cats i don't own a dog but the way you treat a cat and a dog are very different because one's domesticated one's tamed essentially yes. and that's a whole other discussion <laughs> but you can use the same 
body language behavior on both and get similar results because they're both mammals. Uh, a weird one that if you lock eyes with something and you hold it without blinking, that's typically seen as a sign of aggression. Mm-hmm. But if you slow blink at anything, that's typically seen as a disarming behavior. That's all psychology because, and that just goes back to hunting behavior. If you watch any animal hunt, you don't necessarily need to be told that's what it's doing. You can pick up on cues just in your core of your being that you know that it's stalking something. Like if it's low to the ground, its eyes are fixed on the thing and you know it's a predator because it has forward facing eyes, you know, and it's fixed on something. If it has ears, they're back, you know, it's low and concealing itself. You don't need to be told that it's stalking. You may have never even seen a creature like this before, but if it's exhibiting that behavior, you just know what it's doing. And you may not know why, you may not know what it's stalking, but you know enough to be able to make some smart decisions based on what creature it is. Like if I saw if you saw a large creature that you've never seen before, but it's doing that at you, you, you your human survival instincts, old lizard brain back Alarms there. Alarms begin going off. It's like, ah, uh, we, we're in danger. We Danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> danger. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to happen, you know. And then I think, uh, you know, symbols are all upstream from that. Downstream from that. I don't know. They're extensions. Right. But I did want to point that out as a context because, for instance, if we hypothetically had an alien visitor, putting your palms forward to submit is not going to be recognized. They're it, not going to know what that means. And it could very well mean something entirely different. Right. It could be offensive. Who knows? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with symbols, uh, just to bring it up as well, um, has to do with, like, the use of symbols. And this is kind of kind of strange. Uh, but symbols, like, why, why do we use symbols, first of all? Like, why do they exist? Why, like, and I mean the more complex symbols, like uh, flags and such. Like, why do we do those things, you know? Sometimes it's for utility. Take, for instance, a flag. Um, say you are in a battle. You need to identify who's on whose side so you don't kill your own folks. Mm-hmm. So use a symbol to identify who's fighting for whom. And to be doubly sure... Use couple. We wear this color. You wear that color. Right. If we're all wearing the same color, put the flag as a patch on one shoulder or whatever. Or on but a yeah. bre- breastplate, depending on where we're, what, what time period what we're era, talking about. On yeah. the shield, you know, you don't know. Like, But you do something like that to help. So for identification, utility purposes like that. Okay? Right. So that's the most immediate reason. And it's the same thing. It's the same with gestures. It's all utility. Um, let's see. Um, well, I guess in a sense... Hmm. Okay, I, I realize I just said something very obvious. Symbols are always a matter of utility. Yes. Um. But yeah, identity is one such utility. Right. I want to take this. While you're thinking of that, I want to take this moment to also point out one of the other uh, traits, I guess, of symbols, and that is a good symbol. Anyway, does not necessarily need to be explicitly explained. Um, good example being because humans are pattern seeking, I don't ever, I don't need to have seen a flag before to know that anyone, all of the people who bear that flag are grouped, for example. Like, I don't need to understand what the flag means necessarily. At the most surface level, 
the symbol itself should be sufficient to explain some context. Like good symbols, like well-created symbols, and these are typically symbols that have stood the test of time, are ones that have enough, bank enough on like human psychology to communicate their message or at least the basics of their message without explanation. Um, and without having to be taught. Like, And when I say taught, I mean like, me sit down and explain to you. You sh you can witness a symbol being used and watch people how they react around that symbol to kind of understand it just by observation uh, in the way that, in the very similar way that humans tend to learn anyway. You know, through mimicry. Like if I see a certain shape or a certain symbol that's always respected, like people don't go near it or they, when they do go near it, they exhibit a behavior no one has to tell me that you know that's what's expected of me around this symbol a good example is like in uh like in egypt you know the obelisk shape it's an unnatural shape that doesn't occur in nature that tells me something about it that it's man-made but the way but i can just watch it even if i've never i've obviously never been to ancient egypt because i exist in this current time but if i were to go back then and had no knowledge of egyptian culture it would not take me long to quickly figure out which sim which things were symbols and which things were just shapes. You know what I mean? Like you right. can pick a symbol out and know it's a symbol if it's a good symbol. You know what I mean? And stuff like that, you know. Right. That's, that's um, another trait of them is that they kind of, of good symbols is that they're somewhat self-explanatory and they can be communicated without direct explanation, at least on right. the surface. Take, level. for example, the biohazard symbol. Yes. Um usually presented uh, as a black symbol on a orange background. Um, and oranges and reds are immediately associated with danger. Those are danger colors, yes. So even if you've never seen that symbol before, you know, hmm, I probably shouldn't reach into this bag. Or I've also seen this as well on a very eerie shade of green. And I, don't, I, and I know you know what color I'm talking about, even though I don't have it in front of me. Because you know, we all kind of... Green is typically a good color, but there's a sickly green yes. that we all kind of know. It's like a pus-colored green that we're all like, oh, that's, right. that's the, bad the green. slime green, yes. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> and so, yeah, it uses elements of what we kind of react to naturally to help form its basis. But yeah, exactly. Also, the way the lines are curved and overlapping is unnatural and off-putting. Yes. Uh, it, it looks dangerous. Um, the this, this symbol for uh, radiation or nuclear material is very similar. Mm -hmm. um, you don't need to know what it means to know that mm, that's probably bad. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yeah, somebody marked this this way for a reason. I probably need to learn more about it before I mess with it. It's enough to give you pause or caution. Right. Yeah. And that's the whole point. Which is the whole point. So, So, so far we've determined that symbols are in their utility they have a good utility function or that's what their primary purpose is is utility and it's mainly for identity um yes <clears throat> however there are times when this is not obvious true so take for example one of the other symbols that i wanted to talk about statues hmm statues of people specifically yes um though of course yeah there are many many statues but yeah statues of people why would we make a statue of a person? Probably to respect that person or out of it's a memorial to a person who has done something great. Right. Typically. 
Right. And usually, yeah, usually done specifically because of like one particular thing that they did that people appreciated. Right. Um, so, yeah, like we'll we'll have like maybe a famous war hero or something is very likely to get a statue. Not only are they likely to get a statue, but the statue is probably going to be placed in someplace important as well. Right. Either on a battlefield or maybe in their hometown or something. Like, you know that the place in which the statue exists... That person is important to that place. Important to that place. So it helps you tie that together. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't make sense. So, I made a claim earlier that all symbols are for utility. So I guess I need need to substantiate that. What's the utility of making statues um one that comes out uh one that comes to mind uh uh, readily is you can incentivize people to uh do things perhaps at do altruistic things things that could cost them to the benefit of everybody else by demonstrating hey if you do something great we'll immortalize you in some long-lasting material yeah um and we'll Put you where everyone will see you and know that you're a great person because you did the thing. Inspirational. Right. Um, they can be done for morale and inspiration reasons. Um, this could be you if you do something great. Um, I would say there's also the historical reason for that. It's to remember. Yes. Um, it, you only generally want, and I think this is why you don't see often statues of the enemy. Uh, you want to remember the people who did the thing that you wanted. And when I say you, I mean the culture of usually the community of the people who hold that culture, Um, which brings some interesting things to uh, discussion because this is not always the case necessarily. A good example being the United States and civil war monuments, um, which these without getting into the politics of them or the modern day, um, there's some contest over whether that's appropriate or not um, because there are Confederate generals, people of the Confederacy that are honored with memorials, even though they lost. Right. And they were fighting to support something that we as a modern community don't want to support, but people don't want to get rid of them either. And right. Because not only, is a statue of somebody put in a place, a symbol of the uh, person of whom the statue is, it starts to become a symbol of that place as well. Right. And and this is where the context really starts to matter, I think. Um, another good example is the flag associated with the Confederacy, the, specifically the battle flag. Not There were flags, but they weren't the real flags that represented the country. Uh, but the battle flag is the one that stuck around. Um, the inappropriately or incorrectly named stars and bars flag, so on and so forth. Yes, um, even though it is clearly a cross. Yes. Um, thank you, CGP Gray, for that one as well. <laughs> I feel like he makes a mention at least once an episode. Um, but yeah, that flag uh, is that flag still exists. People still fly that flag. Um, yes. It's also tattooed on people. It is put on vehicles. It's flown in yards. Like it's still very much a symbol. However, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that it used to, because that's one other thing about symbols that I think is interesting. They evolve. They they're, they're, or the meaning evolve. Well, at, at the symbols themselves evolve too, but yes. the, the thing that they represent changes. Exactly. And this is where you get a strange overlap where 
symbols take on a meaning dependent on the person who views the symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, a great example of this is the swastika symbol. Yes, I knew you were going to say the swastika. You have to. Yeah. It's 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 it one is of the greatest example of this. Yes. yes. Because the two contexts that I know in which it is used are completely polar opposites. Complete polar opposites in almost every way. And not only that, but the symbol in the... and Okay, for those of you who don't know, at your own risk, Google that symbol. And you probably know that symbol. Let's put it that way. I don't think there are very many people that if you show them that symbol don't at least recognize it. Right. You've seen it somewhere and it's in done some it. context. And yeah. in that way, it does a really good job of being a symbol because that's the whole point. Right. The entire world knows that symbol. Exactly. Right. Now, what they know it for... Might change. Might change. Yeah. That is a... Is it that, Hindu symbol? Or is it a... Uh, I, it might be. I think I've also seen it in Jainism. Um, it, At the very least, an Eastern symbol, I think. Right. Let's see. Where did it come from? It, it just says iconic in the cultures of Eurasia. Thank you, Google. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. Okay. Um. So Eastern religions. Eastern religions. Several Eastern religions. Yeah. Yes. Um. And it says in the Western world, it was a symbol of auspiciousness and good luck until the until a certain event. Let's leave it there. You know, sometimes foreshadowing can be quite obvious. Um. So, for the longest time, it, for thousands of years, this was a symbol typically associated with some more positive elements of a religious practice. Um, it, it's a divine symbol. and It's a spiritual symbol. You know, it's something that's meant to represent... It, typically, spiritual symbols are things to represent something positive. And so in those cultures, and to this day in those cultures, it's still that, you know. Right. It's so old. They're not just going to give it up just because a certain historical event tainted it. Right. But for about a 20 to 30 year period of time, when it reached prominence for another reason, being the Nazis in Germany, in Nazi Germany, uh, it meant something entirely different. It became the symbol of that regime. Um, right. And, to and this, what it stood for. And what that regime stood for. And to Because this, just like the Confederate battle flag, or the the, the new flag because it changed shape a little bit, true. is still flown, there are people who fly the Nazi flag. For Nazi reasons. Yes. Yes. I, I, I guess it's safe to say the Nazi flag because it does have, there's additions, there's a white circle with a red background. Right. It's not you just know. the swastika. The swastika by itself, now... Certain vandals will inscribe a swastika on something to represent the Nazi swastika, but in a general case, just a swastika does not represent the Nazis. No, but it is specifically yes the a black swastika tilted forty five degrees from its normal orientation, uh, circumscribed by a white circle laid on a red background. Yes, yep. that is that's the... the symbol of the Nazis. Right, but. Symbols also have a hard time of not being, again, that pattern-seeking behavior. Uh, I could show you the swastika not tilted on a white background, with, and that's it. And those who do not know its origins will still associate it with the Nazis. Or even, well, and, and also, me having grown up in a Western culture, not, being, uh, not having encountered that symbol until learning about the Nazis, that is still the first place my mind goes. 
when I see that symbol out of out of context. Right. I, I see it and I think, oh, that's a Nazi symbol. Oh, wait, now I see its context. No, this is being used as a religious symbol. Right. <clears throat> and uh, we we exist in a point in time now where it, we're in an interesting place where it's almost 100 years old in its use in Nazi Germany. Um, and it stopped being used because Nazi Germany no longer exists about seven, 70 years ago now, 60 ish. Yeah. 70, almost 80. I don't know. Depends on when you kind of, it, it depends. Doesn't it doesn't matter. It's been a, a while. while, a while. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that symbol takes on a different, you know, re- either is reclaimed by its original meaning or if it goes on to hold its meaning that most people associate it with today. And there's no really good way to say which is going to happen. And that's the other interesting thing about symbols. Very seldom does a single person or small group of people get to change a symbol. Because when you really think about it, who gives a symbol its meaning? Really? Is it its creator or is it what like what what gives a symbol its meaning because i could pick anything to be a symbol and tell you it right. means that but yeah. that doesn't mean it's a good symbol. symbols have to be acknowledged by other people it's it's public acknowledgement across and good symbols as public acknowledgement across large Take the most obvious example of this being the case language yes languages are sim- or well they're at least made of symbols yes glyphs um well yeah glyphs but also words the sounds themselves yes um, like I can make up whatever word I want, but if I either don't tell you what it means, or if I take a word that already exists and assert that it means something completely different, and I keep using it that way, people are not going to understand me. Therefore, right. we can we can say, for brevity's sake, it doesn't mean what I say it means. Right. It may mean that to me, but really it, it doesn't mean that. Right. And... I don't know why. I don't know if this has always been a a source of contention or something that's happened, but I feel like the discussion around symbols is picking up a lot more. Yes. Um, and it's very interesting to to monitor that discussion and think about it because a good example is symbols that mean one thing and then get reappropriated, and because of who appropriates that symbol, it becomes tainted, uh, and and. We can look at the swastika for this. Why can't we all just decide to let the swastika go back to being its own meaning? Why, you know, why can't I just say, you know what? Every time I see it from now on, I'm going to think of Jainism, Buddhism, you know, whatever. Can I do that? Can an individual choose what that symbol evokes in them? Not merely. Not merely. You can't just decide it doesn't mean that. Right. It's going to take a lot of work and exposure to other uses of it. To desensitize you to it. And it's obviously easier if you had a preconceived notion of what the symbol was before. Right. If you were a Jane. Yes. Then obviously the symbol is going to mean whatever it means to you. Whatever it meant to you before. Right. Um, and I think the reason maybe this discussion is coming up more is is the word meme and the like... The acknowledgement that memes exist mm-hmm. is so much so that it's now a, ex- most people know the word meme. 
the fact although most people don't know what the word meme means no most people who know that word don't actually know it true um they're not necessarily wrong when they use it i would say they're they're not being as broad as the term actually i will avoid means. going on a long tangent so i don't know i think it might be appropriate because what are memes if not symbols me okay and and this might lead into that discussion is when i say meme when i used meme there i think i wasn't using the definition that you would have used for meme right okay so internet memes um okay they they are yes they are symbols but they're not they're not memes actually the okay well Okay, I, I do have to go on. Okay, I can let's, let's I can, I can, I can abbreviate the tangent. Um, the point. Okay, when someone says to me, "Let me show you this meme," what I expect them to show me is not actually a meme. I expect them to show me an instance in which a meme is used. Right. So, take for instance the various image macros. That, that's a word no one uses anymore. Image macro, which is what we used to call internet memes. Um, someone's going to show me an already captioned image, which, you know, which is part of an image macro that I, that I recognize, but it's the, the, the actual meme part of it is the format, right? The format is the actual meme. Um, cause that's the part that's continuous between it that I recognize as a symbol. But once you take it and slap a caption on it, that in and of itself is no longer a meme unless that captioned version of it becomes a meme itself. Right. Cause that can happen too. Yep. Um, yeah. So just for brevity, you know, the technical definition from, or the top paragraph from Wikipedia says that a meme is an idea, behavior, or style that spreads by means of imitation from person to person within a culture and often carries symbolic meaning representing a particular phenomenon or theme. Yes. So, Internet memes are an instantiation, are, are symbols, are a symbolic instantiation of a meme. Yes. But they're not the meme itself. But, you know, language is weird. and Right. Um, but anyway, I think the fact that that is a common term now, like, even if it's used incorrectly, it's closer than someone who has no idea of what that word means. Like, I would say that if a person has not thought about the fact that ideas or behaviors get spread through imitation i guess i i don't know in my experience most people that i talk to who use that word and don't know what it means i don't i don't think they actually even in the in the narrow context in which they use it i don't think they actually grasp what is meme about it um you might like be right they're, they're not they're not seeing it for the for the pattern like i i basically hear the word meme used interchangeably for funny picture i found online true but what i think is more prevalent is the gamification of the meme because that's kind of what internet memes are even back at the image macro level is we are okay let's put it this way using a toilet is a meme the idea of using a toilet, yes. let me say, is a meme. Yeah. And the preference to use a toilet is also a meme. Yes. Right? No one felt the need to try to find a way 
to spread that idea or a modification to that idea quickly before. Like, there's no point system for spreading that idea. Mm -hmm. What makes internet memes, used in that terminology, different is that they are gamified in a way. There is, and it's not meant to be a point system, but it's used like a point system to incentivize spreading a format, which is the meme. That the, if you don't understand the template, if you don't understand the meme, you won't understand the instantiations of the memes. Wow, this is getting really difficult to explain. Yes. But, okay, if you don't understand the meme, or you have no concept of the meme, you won't get the uh, internet meme that it's derived from, or that's instantiated from. Is that is that better to, to phrase, or is that still wrong, do you think? Yes, that is true. Okay, so... I guess, I guess, and this will truly be the end of the tangent. I won't mention it anymore. But sure, that's fine. But like, I I've heard that word used not just to mean instances of memes. Like my my gripe here is not that people say meme when they mean an instantiation of a meme because I don't care. We can be brief. I'm not going to nitpick that. It's that the thing that they show me may not even in fact be an instantiation of a meme like a picture of a cat making a funny face right that's not a meme it's not a meme even in the in the loosest sense of that word it's not right and and i get that so let's throw all those out for now that's that's fine even though there could potentially be a meme behind that and the meme is that cats are funny yes i don't know if that's a good meme but i mean technically it's an idea (laughs) um Anyway, but so let's just stick to internet memes by your definition. So there's a template behind it. Mm-hmm. You should be able to go to what uh, knowyourmeme.com. Great resource, by the way. Excellent resource. Excellent resource. To And there should be a template there that will tell you enough you need to know about the context. Because that's what internet memes really are that is so fascinating to me. Is it is a meme that you can then... It's it's a pre-existing context. Or no, sorry. It's, a, it's an idea. And the part you're allowed to edit is the frame. You can reframe that idea into different instantiations for various effects. And that's what's super cool about internet memes that are actually derived from memes. Is that you can take an idea that's thought of one way and then reframe it into a different instantiation that is funny, that evokes anger, sadness, whatever. And that's typically been like, we have a job for this. That's what comedians do. As a profession, they take ideas that we have, memes, and they reframe them into content. The most common form of stand-up comedy is that type of comedy. Right. Think about it this way. I bet you've never heard it put this way before. Right. Like, what's the deal with airline food? Okay, I'm setting up something, a meme, the fact that there's an idea that you eat on an airplane. And everyone kind of who's been on an airplane and done that understands that. Mm -hmm. Now, in this instance, and now it's funny. Because brain doesn't know how to deal with that information, so it laughs. Yes. It tickles itself. So, if you will. Please don't ever <laughs> say that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's interesting about putting that within the internet is that thanks to social media platforms, I can wrap that whole ecosystem in a scoreboard. Reddit's an excellent example of this. Mm-hmm. There's the upvote, the downvote. Anyone who makes memes for Reddit the ultimate goal is to get that meme to the top of whatever forum you're on or whatever subreddit you're on. Yeah. And that's why when you see whatever meme is popping or whatever templates popping, 
There's a bunch of those, but people are just modifying it and reframing it in a game of trying to score the most points in the form of upvotes. And so you can actually watch what used to happen and still does happen in the world of comedians, but it's a lot smaller of a community and it's not as in a digital format, you can keep records of it and watch it happen. If it's just people in a social context, it's a lot harder to quantify and that's boring and leave that to the psychologists and sociologists. But on Reddit, it's watching this happen is watching a comp- watching a competition a sim a symbology competition almost like there's skills associated there's there's all kinds of things that go into this and people are doing it more now than ever because now there's a scoreboard and now i'm incentivized because i'm gratified by that scoreboard whereas the old scoreboard was i want to get some laughs but there's a cost to that what if i don't what if i'm not funny there's an awful thing associated. If you say a joke and no one laughs, there's shame. <laughs> you don't necessarily get the same kind of shame from posting a dead or a bad meme format. You just don't get as many upvotes. Or you get downvotes. Who cares? Like, those are just downvotes. Those don't hurt as bad. But the thumbs up feels almost as good. It's a lot closer to the positive feedback of an actual laugh than the downward, down thumbs down is to the silent room of unlaughing people and the one coffin it's also of course this is this is also an ever-present thing with any online uh i well i guess i can't say with any but with all like social media platforms that i know of uh you dehumanize the person on the other side of the screen yep so when when someone upvotes your your attempt at humor um you say ah someone appreciated it i must have done a good job and so you get the satisfaction from it but if you post it and the first thing you get is a couple of downvotes, you're like, oh, well, they're just jerks. Right. <laughs> they don't get it. Like, they're stupid. Like, yeah. You don't, you don't get the, you know, cause you're, you're not, you're just sending it out to a bunch of strangers on the internet who knows who's going to see it. So you can just make all kinds of assumptions about them to justify what you did and, uh, and still feel validated, um, you know, and, and just say, well, okay, well, they're just being mean. Whereas if you say that in front of, you know, People who, if you're a professional comedian, either people who paid for you to try to be funny and you're not funny, that's a huge hit. Or, but even in front of like your friends and family, if you say something, you're trying to be funny. It's like, okay, but these are people that I care about. I know how these people are. They're not just being jerks. I'm really not funny. And I'm really embarrassed. Yep. Well, and not only that, but just like anything else with the internet, meme smiths, meme farmers, if you will, uh, that go out and make these memes, just like anything else on the internet, it's a numbers game you might make 50 versions of that meme just to hoping one will take off. And that's a lot more feasible because you can put that up in front of way more people than me. I can only jump from room to room and say just slight variations of the same joke quickly. Like if you've ever watched comedians do live sets, they'll modify their jokes every other set on a tour. They'll modify and tweak it every time they get on stage. And if this version got more laughs, they'll like, I've actually listened to comedians talk about this. They they keep stat books and of notebooks of hey this version of this joke was funny here. Let me retry let me try retelling that with the next city I go to with a new audience. Oh, they really like that. Boom. And then if you if you pay attention, most comedians when they actually do a they tape their show and they do a special for somewhere, it's usually one of the last uh, one of the last uh, times they do that set, and it's because they've been all the shows they've done they've done them to get paid but 
any good comedians also been modifying and tweaking things just ever so slightly. Whereas me and my, in front of my computer can just, I'm going to just make 50 and throw them out and watch and see which one hits best. That one hit best, pull it in, make 50 slight variations of that, throw them all up there. All right. These two did best, pull them back in. You can rapidly iterate because you can get it in front of more people faster that way. And it, I don't have to do an hour long set standing in front of people who I have to wait to get off work and any of that. Right. And I get that instant statistical feedback i'm not having to gauge laughs about how how many decibels it is you know or how loud it sounded to me i can get an actual number quantifiable number quantifiable yeah. and i think th- that system that's that's what's new now that's that's what's existed that's what exists now that has not existed for the most of human history and i think that's what's forcing this into the public consciousness of you know we, if you're dealing with systems like that, even if you don't consciously think about, man, symbols propagate in a weird way. Like, you know, you're not like me and you and sit down for an hour and talk about it. Just being, just dealing with it frequently enough, it, you're on the periphery. Just acknowledging that it's a thing puts it, puts your mind in the right frame to be ready to have that conversation as though instead of pulling someone out from 50,000 years ago and throwing them into this conversation, they'd have no clue. Whereas you could approach almost anybody today and I could start having this conversation and with very little lead time, get them to this point of, oh yeah. And, and they can kind of see it. Like they know they have examples in their head. They can go back and look at, oh yeah, I have noticed that meme format was a symbol that kind of propagated. That was weird. You know, they, they've lived the experience, even if they don't know how to talk about it or they haven't talked about it before they know, you know, and, and that's what is important about symbols is you, you know what it, you know, it means something. And you might know enough to be functional, but if you've been exposed to it enough, like a good example being, or is look at, let's take the country of China, for example, a country in which Christianity as a religion did not originate and is, uh, it's actually pretty new, relatively speaking. If you look at the religions that have been practiced in China that are thousands of years old, Christianity showed up way late. The missionaries got off the boat way later than that. Watching how the symbol of like the cross, which is the symbol for Christianity, or one of the main ones anyway. I don't want to throw everyone in that same boat, but watching how that I don't symbol, know there is a a sect of Christianity that doesn't accept the cross as its symbol, right? Or at least acknowledge it to some degree. Like the Orthodox like, Eastern Orthodoxy has the cross with the two bars instead of the one, you know, but, right? But a cross, like yeah. that—that's like the thing that defines Christianity, right? Um. Watching how that symbol has propagated in the, the country of China, who has no, that's not, the theme of sacrifice in the context of Christianity is not a cultural theme of the Chinese historical culture. Especially when you look back at things like Confucianism, things that we can point to and say, yes, his ideas, his memes are what led to these cultural developments. And they don't mesh well with the ideas that are espoused by Christianity both from the time it was it originated to how it's been changed in a western context you know it's not the same but watching how that integrates is what's interesting and seeing how that symbol changes like i think anyone in china would have known they see that someone wears a necklace with that on it like okay that that must mean something and then they see groups of people who surround that symbol and they behave a certain way okay so now they begin to associate that symbol with that behavior and whether they like or dislike that behavior, now they 
begin to form opinions about the symbol itself as a representation of that behavior and so on and so on and so on. A good example in the West is look at the, uh, I don't know what the official name is, but it's a star and a crescent moon symbols of Islam, you know, Islam is not a prevalent religion in the West or at least in the United States. Most people I know or that I knew growing up, couldn't even really associate that symbol like if i if i asked them what's the symbol of islam they they may not even have been able to tell me but if i showed it to them first they'd be like oh that that's the islam symbol you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. because they're not familiar with it but because they became familiar with that symbology watching tv during the iraq war Mm -hmm. now that symbol is associated with us fighting in the middle east and it's not associated with the Baghdad House of Wisdom, for example. Right. They don't know about that. Their only knowledge associated with that symbol is what they've been exposed to. Right. And it's really weird to see, take a symbol that means a thing. Like, what I don't understand is how the swastika meant something for thousands of years and then it immediately was changed. But because that's the first time you experienced it, it for whatever reason, whoever's first to get to that symbol and implant a meaning that's just kind of stuck there. You, it's it's now harder to give it a different meaning. Even if the meaning you originally assigned it to was like, like say for example, you are born and you moved to India when you're five, but when you were four, you heard about Nazis and that's when you first saw the swastika. Then you show up in India when you're five and they're everywhere, <laughs> you know? It would take you a lot longer to get comfortable with that symbol if you had just never known about its use with the Nazis than if, and you just kind of acclimated to it naturally. But once you have something to unlearn, to then relearn over, it's so much harder for us for whatever reason. I think that's what's interesting about symbols for me, um, is that once you learn what it means or you you're given an explanation, it's so hard to undo that to then put something else over it. To me, anyway. Right. Like, I've had instances, and I'm, I'm sure this is a very common thing in, in childhood, where I, um, this is only sort of related, but it, it can it can happen in, in ways where it, it turns into unlearning symbols. So, where I misheard something somebody said, what, what somebody called something, is when I was still learning uh, my basic vocabulary. Um, and so then I would use the wrong word for something. And so then an adult would correct me and say, no, you mean this. Well, no, that's not what you said earlier. I heard this. So that must be what it means. It's like, you know, I, I've heard the thing. And because I'm a child and I don't understand that the adult is probably right about what a word means. They've been using it a lot longer. Right. <laughs> me having heard the one wrong thing one time is probably not a good, uh, good enough reason. It doesn't matter. It's already in my head. No, that's what that means. You know, and it takes, it takes a while for me to hear more people use the correct one. Oh, okay. I was just wrong. Yeah. I, I had a similar thing happen. Uh, I learned to read when I was about five. Yeah. I was a little late to the reading game. Um, I read, I read fine now though. <laughs> um, but sometimes, uh, sometimes. um, but when you read it, when you learn to read, you will encounter words you've never heard. Yes. Well, you got to keep reading, so you'll come and up because brains you have to be able to pronounce it away in your in your mind if you can hear. Right. And so, 
that's what'll become stuck first. And then you hear it and you won't associate what you heard with the symbols that make out the spelling of that word. Right. Um, one of the interesting ones, and this wasn't me, but it's, it's, mim- it's mimed in a TV show, is uh, there's a guy who had never heard the word chameleon before, which is understandable. He grew up in the United States where they're not prevalent. And he grew up in the northern part of the United States, so he'd never seen one. He, How often do you hear that word, you know? But he read it. And so he's like, oh, chameleon. That's, that's how he mm-hmm. read it, and that's yeah. how he thought about it. And so when he uses it, he confidently enters into a conversation saying, like, yeah, much like the, you know, mystical chameleon he was able to change himself to fit his environment and he said it with total confidence right not realizing not or at least not remembering that he just made up that pronunciation for himself to be able to read because he did as a child he lived his whole life until he was 30 and never had to say the word correctly right and so it's so ingrained that he was willing to argue with someone over its correct pronunciation (laughs) even though he had no reason to do that right and to this day, he'll start to say it, ch- chameleon. Like, he'll say ch- chameleon because he starts yeah. it, and it's such a habit that he has to force it back. You know, And, and that's just super interesting as well. Yes. Um, so, what does that tell us? Like, what does that? where does that leave us since we're coming up on time, do you think? Is, is there anything you can draw from that that's interesting or... I think I think this has been an interesting uh, contemplation of symbols. Perhaps some other time we need to talk about uh, like the when when should we intentionally alter the meaning of symbols or discard symbols that we no longer appreciate things like that. Mm-hmm. I think it would also be very interesting to look uh, to examine sometimes how symbols can be misappropriated, but still retain the the majority of their initial meaning. Um, not to pick anyone out, but I think you know who I'm talking about who does this all the time. Uh, he's a very prominent figure that does this with symbols a lot. Um, but, uh, it's, it's very interesting to watch him speak about a topic because he uses symbols all the time because of his familiarity with human psychology, uh, to communicate a message that he can use symbols to, in, to, to take advantage of the ambiguity behind a symbol to, to communicate a new message. And that's an interesting thing as well. It's an, it's kind of a weird exploit. Um, and then also talk about, uh, intentionally letting symbols be used misleadingly. I think it's another thing that's kind of prevalent that'd be interesting to talk about, but kind of like, uh, now that we have a good contemplation on what symbols are and how they're kind of naturally used, it'd be good some other time to talk about intentional misuses or intentional hijackings of symbols. That would be interesting. Yeah. So we'll need to add that to the list. Um, it's a good hour. That was a quick hour. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, I don't have anything else to add. Do you have anything else to add? All right. Well, uh, until next time, philosophers. Philosophers.